You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to Carrie Fransman, live at the Margate Bookie Literature Festival. Carrie is a comic creator and artist who tells visual stories in books, newspapers, animations, sculptures, on iPads, and in virtual reality. Her comic strips and graphic stories have been published everywhere, from The Guardian to The Times and The Telegraph, and her art has appeared in the South Bank Center, National Portrait Gallery, and the Manchester Art Gallery. She's the creator of several graphic novels, and her most recent incredible books, gender-swapped fairy tales and gender-swapped Greek myths are out now and available in your local bookshop. When we spoke, Carrie and I went right back to the beginning and discussed what might have happened if she'd been born a boy instead of a girl. Along the way, we tried to examine our own gender biases, talked about whether it's easier for men to take up space in the world, but also whether it's easier for women to express themselves creatively. We also closely examined Carrie's wardrobe choices. Um, but I shall hand it over to you. Let's give it up for Miriam and Carrie. <laughs> Hello, thank you very much, and welcome to this live episode of My Unlived Life here at the Margate Bookie. We're very happy to be here in Margate. Um, I'm your host, Miriam Robinson, and with me is the fabulous Carrie Fransman. Carrie is, Carrie is all the things. Carrie is a comics creator um, who's had her work in The Guardian, The Telegraph, The BBC, and so many more that I can't even mention. Um, not that I can't mention, it's not like they're unmentionable, but like, you know what I mean. Um, uh, she's the author of several uh, graphic novels, and most recently, um, the really fascinating gender-swapped fairy tales and gender-swapped Greek myths. And in a moment, Carrie is going to explain those books in particular a little bit more, uh, A, because that's partially why we're here, of course, for Carrie to talk about the books, but also because they tie in really, really nicely with what we're going to do today. So before you do that, I'm going to explain what we're going to do today, because it's not your standard interview podcast. Um, so I'm just going to say a quick word about that and about how we do things on My Unlived Life, and then we'll be off. So um, My Unlived Life, uh, for those of you who haven't heard it before, is a podcast about the path not taken. So those moments in your life where you could have gone left, but you went right instead. You could have gone right, but you went left instead. Or perhaps uh, fate or the world or whatever you believe in intervened to mean that your life took one path and not another. Um, so those sort of sliding doors moments, you know, what would have happened if I'd gotten on that train? What would have happened if I'd uh, talked to that handsome stranger in the bar? <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and I believe um, that we don't really talk about those moments enough. I think we sort of like to sort of pack them away. Once you've made your choice, you sort of move forward. And sometimes that's because it's a regret. It's a bit painful to kind of open up the door and look into the unlived life. Sometimes it's not productive. God forbid we not be productive to sort of go sideways and have a look at something else. Um, but for whatever reason, we sort of trudge forward and we kind of don't, um, we don't really reconsider what might have happened if. Uh, and yet, I think there's quite a lot to be gained from looking into the unlived life. I think we can learn a lot. I think we can expand our sense of self. I think we can expand um, our sense of who we are by kind of remembering or getting back in touch with bits of ourselves that we might have packed away. Um, so that is what we are going to look into today, but we're not just gonna chat about it, Carrie. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a method, which is that we are going to go back to a moment in your life, um, and instead of going the way that your life actually went, we're gonna turn in the other direction and we're going to carve out step-by-step step, uh, the life that might have been. So it's sort of less an interview and more a sort of act of creative imagination, if that's not too grandiose and ridiculous. Um, but yeah, but first, 
Hi, Carrie. Hi. Hi. Thanks it's a for good, being here. It's a good point though, to ask people, right? Like, just have a think for a second and imagine what your point would be in your life. Because most people, I think, they don't have loads, right? Usually there's like a couple when you think, if I hadn't done that, then maybe this. It'll be interesting to hear you guys afterwards. Maybe we can can tweet. What's, what's your, do you have a hashtag? Hashtag my unlived life. Yes, you're so good. You're like doing... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always interested because I've asked a few people when I tell them I'm going on your podcast, mm -hmm. I ask them that question and you always get really interesting answers. Well, I think, can we just see a show of hands? Does anybody have one that they can think of? Does anyone sort of go, oh yeah, I've got one. Yep, yep. All right, fine. Well, we'll can see we because I think, I find that once you kind of start thinking about it, I find that people have several. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. how regretful you are. Has anyone got more than one? I don't think it's always regret, though. That's the other thing. It's like yeah, sometimes it's regret. Right. Sometimes it's just like, oh, that would have been interesting. I think past, past podcasts have been everything from, you know, what if I had studied something different at university? What if I hadn't done the thing my parents thought I should do? What if I, you know, hadn't gone on that second date with that slightly insane human being? Whatever it is. <laughs> Hand up, you've got quite a few. They're thinking of like, oh, yeah, that you. Right? <laughs> uh. I believe you. Anyone who hasn't got any? No? No one's living their life perfectly. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> um, love, I want you to say a little bit of something about your book, please. Okay. Or the two books. Yeah, I've actually got them here. I, I should be having them out, shouldn't I? You should. On the table. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a comic artist and graphic novelist, and I, I'm a visual storyteller, basically. Um, but... The last two books I've done haven't actually been comics and graphic novels. They're illustrated books. So, they're out with Faber and Faber, and it's um, Gender Swap Fairy Tales is the first one, and Gender Swap Greek Myth is the second. So, basically, they're in collaboration with my um, husband, Jonathan Plackett. He's like a digital technologist and inventor, and he created an algorithm which automatically swaps the gender in any text. So it turns he to she, or king to queen, or father to mother. And at first he wanted to apply this maybe to like newspaper articles online. Um, and I suggested we put like public domain 18th and 19th century, like story, the most famous story in the world, fairy tales, Greek myth, through the algorithm and see what happened. So it's kind of weird because almost the computer wrote this book for us. We, he created the algorithm. I've done the illustrations. But what was fascinating was we got to see those stories for the first time. Because they've been automatically swapped, what it does is it's not preaching, it's not trying to rewrite things or, or preach a message on how the world might be different. It literally is just in a kind of quite cold way swapping the language. And what it does is it exposes this gender binaryism, which underlays and underpins language, the stories we've been telling since childhood, the roles we're allowed to adopt, and this kind of false dichotomy of masculinity over here and femininity over there. That's really interesting. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that today, I think more people are becoming aware that gender isn't a binary. There are many different gender identities that you can have, um, I mean, now, like, they say there's over 60 gender identities. Um, but what's so interesting is we kind of unconscious about how much this dichotomy is there in our language and, and characters. So because the computer's done the swapping, when you read it, it's, it's kind of like almost um, a way for you to question your own internal bias. So you'll look at certain characters and they'll make you feel uncomfortable and you'll say, why... Why did that character, make, why did that prince make me uncomfortable where I accepted that role in the princess? Or how is it different when the, the awful beast is now a princess beast and she's angry and ugly and she captured the man? How did that make things different? But illustration-wise, it's an absolute joy to draw because I get to just kind of reimagine these most famous fairy tales that have ever been written and... I'm just trying to find a picture here. Oh, yeah, that's the handsome and the, the beast. So I get to just um, redraw them and, and imagine sort of a, a whole matriarchal world where everyone down to the minor characters and the animals have swapped gender. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that within the context, I think, of our swap, because it's been... What we're going to do today, I think... Me and Mimi, obviously, <laughs> have had a... Miriam have had a... 
a quick chat about this and I think it's going to bring up a lot of of my internal biases yeah. in doing that. That's um, Snowdrop. He's uh, with the... For everyone listening, we can put a little link to Carrie's books oh, in, yeah. my, in my show notes, <laughs> but also you have a website as well, CarrieFanson.com, yes. which has all of or has oh, my words on here. And they're just the most immaculate and beautiful drawings you can They're see not immaculate. I Photoshop out, out my food you. stains and my... <laughs> <laughs> That's a great job of Photoshop. I can, <laughs> I can get my coffee stains uh, Photoshopped out. But you can play get the... Get the, the, the oh, yeah, that's um, Persephone and uh, Hadea. Hades turned to Hadea. So, again, this is a great example of how we do not create a better world by swapping the genders. It's still a world with unequal power imbalances that just, you know, favour women. So we're not advocating uh, grabbing beautiful men and running off with them to your underworld queendom. Not that often, anyways. <laughs> Only on Saturdays. Only on Saturdays, exactly. <laughs> Let's grab the man and take him to the underground kingdom day. <laughs> okay, should we segue yes, there? You should. Okay, so yeah, so we're going to, I want you to talk about your path now. So normally, as I said, people do things like, you know, what if I'd studied something differently? What if I'd um, caught that different train? What if I had gone to Paris when I wanted to, et cetera? And Carrie, you and I have spoken before. You were my second, I think. Wow. Something like that. One of my really early interviews on my unlived life. And I sort of, when I was starting this, I felt like I really needed to practice quite a lot to figure out what I was actually doing because it wasn't straightforward. So you were a very wonderful guinea pig and I'm still very grateful to you for letting me practice on you. But at the time we did something I think is not unrelated. So the original path that Carrie and I went down was you used IVF to um, conceive your first child and it took a while. And I think for this, the experience of many is that it's, it's a really long and grueling and really challenging process. Um, and obviously eventually it worked and you had your beautiful child and you had another child but you were curious as to what might have happened if it hadn't worked. Yeah. You spend a lot of time when you're doing IVF in that gray area, thinking, imagining what it might be like, which, to be honest, I was completely wrong about. I didn't have a concept of... My concept of what it might be to be a mother was completely different to the reality. I think everything is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, definitely with parenthood. Yeah, but I very much imagined the path of not having children and I really enjoyed the process of going down into that imagination journey with you I had so much fun and well, I always, it's that awesome was the thing. you had so much fun <laughs> basically it was what if I wasn't a mother and all Carrie was Carrie was in Mexico Carrie lived on a commune for a bit you made lots of really <laughs> weird machines a storytelling machine I still want to do that you know what I think we what we created was like my blueprint for retirement. Yeah. Like now exactly what I would have done was like what I will do, hopefully in the future. That's why I think the exercise has power because I think it allows you to kind of visit a part of you that you've shut down or you've kind of said isn't really a part of me anymore. Yeah. And then actually I think what we did, what we came to, because I think you were feeling, it was early days with your yeah. parenting and you were feeling a bit trapped. trapped. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you would never do those things ever again. And what we got to do was go, actually, there is a time and space for this. This might be not right this second. Yeah. And I coming. think as you get older and certainly, you know, if, if you do choose to have kids or have kids or relationships, you, you bring more people into your life and it feels like the plasticity of life is, is, is gone mm. and I think the imagination of how life could be in itself is quite a, a liberating act so yeah we need that don't we we do so we're gonna we're gonna do another moment of conception <laughs> so, so fair would you like to explain where this is I've never done this and it's weird and that's why I love Carrie so much because she brings the weird so what are we gonna so do Miriam this is said, not well, you, the kind you... of thing we would normally do only for you would I do this <laughs> Miriam was like, can you think of another moment in your life where your path went one way and it could have gone another? And she said, you know, we can go down to Margate, we can talk about this in relation to your book, Gender Swap. And I thought, what would be more perfect than to go right, right, right back to my very first moment when I was, I guess, in dual reality as part egg and part sperm, and I Googled this, so I know the science. <laughs> we, did, we did take a minute. We're like, oh, neither of us really understands the biology of when this happened. I am part egg and sperm in this imagination. Well, no, in reality. And a different sperm fertilizes the egg, and I am born male. And so that's what we're going to imagine, that divergence of path. <laughs> 
<laughs> the very earliest uh, divergence of path possible. And I'm going down the route of what happened if I was born male. Exactly. So y'all are present for a very weird experiment. I think it's going to be fabulous. So here we go. You ready? Yes. And oh, can I just say in advance, I told you that the book was going to expose, like while reading it, you expose your own biases. This is definitely going to expose my biases about what assumptions of what it is to be another gender, because I can't imagine. So I think it'll be quite interesting. Yeah, we're going to have to kind of feel our way into what we think it might be like. But obviously, yes, exactly. Like, we, you Feel free to heckle me if you disagree. <laughs> we can all collectively try and imagine. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Okay, so you um, emerge from the womb. In Edinburgh. I mean, we were talking about this before. Like, would your parents have had a scan? It's too... Where are we? We're 1981? I think they didn't have scans. I don't know. Anyone, anyone around then? I mean, like, we, I was born in 81. And I, I think they didn't... And maybe they had, like, one scan or later on. But I, I think gender was often just literally there. You wouldn't have found out. Apparently, in my Googling, I found out that up to seven weeks, embryos are just biologically identical. And then the gender start. Right. Forming. Well, it's around what sixteen or twenty weeks that you can get your. I think you twenty want, now. You, twenty weeks you can get your thing, right? Yeah, twenty one or something. Out. Yeah. All right. So, well, shall we assume that your parents would not have, for whatever reason? Yeah. Somehow, weirdly knowing them, I feel like they wouldn't have. Also, I feel like they would have wanted a surprise. <laughs> you already have an older sister, as in there is a there is a yeah there is a sister. So right in re- I think it's important for context. I have an older sister who's two years older than me, but I have a brother who's seven years younger than me. So he was the first boy in our family but I would have been in this imagination game the first boy boy which is interesting so I guess the question is all right well let's (laughs) (laughs) what so the first that's the first question is okay there's already a girl you are born Mr. and Mrs. Franzman are overjoyed presumably yeah how do they how do they feel I mean are they presumably they're Right. Were they desperate for multiple girls in the family? No, it's interesting. So I think that, yeah, I think looking at my family, like, I think that as in every family, there's a lot of gender assumptions, aren't there? And I just, for context, when I was thinking about this, there's so much interesting stuff about, uh, first of all, like a lot of friends, there's so much, um, even today, when we're all a bit more accepting of different genders and gender not being as fixed as we assume, I still think most of my friends have found it incredibly emotional finding out about, we say the gender of the baby, the sex, the sex of, the of the baby, right? <laughs> they decide the gender now from 60 different ones. But um, the, the sex of the baby still being quite an emotional process for most of my friends. And I was really happy when I found out I had had a second girl. Mm, and then you think, well, what am I assuming? What am I, what am I thinking about will happen? I mean, for me, it was like, oh, they might want to hang out with me when I'm old. <laughs> Maybe there'll be more chance of that if they're the girl, which again, is, is, is so many assumptions, right? No idea. So like, I think, yeah, so let's go back to my parents with more traditional ideas of gender, I suppose, for them. And they're very liberal, my parents, but... I still think they would have had us. And I think my dad would have been more excited if I had been born a boy. He definitely, oh. the fact that my brother with his son was special. And I think he said to me once that, like, he worked, he worked really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think for the first baby, it was very exciting. He spent more time with my sister. And by the time I came on, he said he was like, okay, he'd done it before. And like... Classic ha- second child syndrome. Like, yeah. Yeah, I know how this works. Yeah, yeah. So I think... If I'd been a boy, that would have been different. I think he would have focused a bit more. Um, that said, you know, we have a really good relationship. And with the fact that he can say that to me and I'm mm. fine. We, but we definitely solidified our relationship more when I'd left home. So, yeah, I do think he would have probably been more involved with me. But I also think seeing him with my brother, the way he was with my brother, they do think like wrestle. <laughs> I always wanted to wrestle with somebody. <laughs> My dad would have never wrestled with me. So, you know, like, there's those kind of things that I think would have been quite... All right, so let's get you... When you different. get a little bit older, you might get to wrestle with dad and do some of the, the dad stuff. Oh, wait, can I just say one more thing? Yeah. They, there was that really interesting study about children, and I remember they... They, they swapped... They took really young babies. You know when they all look like Winston Churchill, like really, really young. 
And they... Yes. I never looked like Winston Churchill. <laughs> you came out with probably a beautiful mane. I of, did. I had so much hair. hair. <laughs> really, when you were born. That's exactly what I hoped for. <laughs> um, so, like, they all come out with Winston Churchill and apparently they'd, like, swap the clothes or they'd tell that they'd, like, dress like the boys in pink and they'd say, oh, will you observe what toys this little girl wants to play with? But they'd actually just dragged up the baby as a girl or dragged up the male babies as a... Yeah, male yeah. babies as girls and girls. So they gender-swapped them for appearances, told an adult that, that they were of the, the opposite gender and then asked them to observe what toys they played with. And the adult put on so many gendered assumptions about what toys That's they wanted to play with according to the gender they assumed they were. And they weren't correct, those assumptions. They were completely wrong. Yeah. And it exposed how much we unconsciously put on babies, you know, these tiny little Winston Churchills from that age... Yeah. But that's so interesting, right? You know, that like that that is being transmitted with even unconsciously so early on. I think it's really it's really, really pervasive. I remember when my one year old, we, you know, had like a birthday party and we had it with, you know, she's not one now, she's nine, but at the time, you know, we had a birthday party with some of her friends from nursery or whatever. And there were probably half and half boys and girls. And, you know, they were playing with whatever, and some kid brought baby doll with a buggy mm. and the girls lost their minds and went kind of written after it and they were all like fighting for him now and the boys wanted nothing to do with it and we were really perplexed because we thought that we had never presented mm. any of that stuff we tried to be really really neutral but the reality was she'd been in nursery since she was three months old yeah and she'd been surrounded by the world so that yeah. entire time and it just gets in there so yeah. i want to know yeah what do you think are the messages coming at you as you're a tiny little baby? You're growing up, you're a liberal household, but you're going to go to nursery because your parents work. Yeah. Not that nursery's bad. We're not saying nursery is bad. <laughs> send, your kids, send your kids to nursery. But okay, we can, get, we, can, we can get you a little bit older, so, so you're how slightly the, more cognizant, right? So, yeah. let's, you're, so you're in nursery. What are you playing with? What are your toys? Well, okay. I'm trying to think. Like what? So like three, four, five? Yeah. I don't know. I was always a bit of a goth kid. I got, oh, that's another significant thing. Well, yes. So when I was two, one of the major things which happened to me is I had meningitis and nearly died. And my earliest memories from about two and a half were being in hospital, looking through the cots, which is really quite early to be remembering. But I can remember the bars of the cots. I remember people coming into the ward. Um, so I guess we assume that that isn't in control. Maybe that still happens. I can't, can do you have to major like things? No, 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 no. I think oh, I don't. It's so hard to know, isn't it? I mean, you being a boy I, doesn't necessarily change. It doesn't that change that meningitis. And so I think, like, yeah, that's interesting. So then after that, I became quite obsessed with death. And because my mum's a psychoanalyst, she's really like able for me to embrace that and very healthy about it. So I was like only wanting to read books about ghosts and and like anything vaguely horror-y. I, I would want to go out and look around graveyards. We went to Japan when I was five and I would just want to look like, I mean, to be honest, Japanese graveyards are fascinating. Still, I still think that. But my mum kind of- Why are Japanese graveyards fascinating? Oh my God, they're just kind of, has everyone, anyone been to Japanese graveyards? They've got like, I mean, they, we went to, what are they called? Like ne necropolis, like city of the dead in Japan. And they've got um, stone babies to commemorate children who've been lost as well. And then people dress them up. And there was like a well, which if you look into it, you can see like, I don't know, the souls of the dead screaming down. Like, there's loads of exciting stuff. That's nice, sweetheart, for a three-year-old. <laughs> I was five at the time. Go, sweetie, we're going to go see the souls of the dead screaming. <laughs> but I would still have been a, a weirdo girl. Seeing Carrie's art, this makes so much sense. I understand so much more now, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure that would have still been there. But you know what? Like, I think that's probably maybe less weird for guys. I don't know. Like, they're kind of slightly, like... And people would have wrestled with me. So I would have got some of that... Do you think er, some of that was that, uh, was that kind of sense of, presumably, I don't want to make assumptions, but that kind of scare really early on with the meningitis and that kind of sense of the world being super precarious and yeah. quite against you, that's like not a small yeah. well, thing. The, the interesting, I guess the segue between those things is the body, the idea of what your body is. And I think I had a real sense of my own mortality and physical vulnerability. And I think... Gender, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because that's the idea of your body and its limitations or what it can do or can't do. Mm. 
So if and your dad is wrestling with you, maybe it is. But I do think I do think that that often, not always, but you do see that boys have a sort of with the wrestling and with that sense that yes, it's okay to be aggressive on the playground and it's okay to shove and all of those sorts yeah. of things. They have there's an outlet, and I I watch this a lot again with my little girl is that, and we talk you know because they're she's now getting to the age where girls are a bit you know bitchy and catty and you mm. know they're not being very nice and sometimes I really feel like it's that they don't have just a really obvious way to channel their aggression. They don't get to just <laughs> shove each other <laughs> or wrestle or be, you know, cause some of that stuff needs to come out of the body. And when it doesn't come out of the body, it kind of, I do think the wrestling thing though is also <laughs> from the other perspective, sometimes men want to have a hug and they wrestle. And my dad used to do that with my brother. I think they just should have had a snuggle on the sofa. <laughs> and you know, like he also, my dad does the thing when we hug, he pats me on the back. Well, I like kind of aggressive, like intensely. <laughs> that's a man hug you know whereas he can't just do a nice snuggle and you know like I think like that kind of do, 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 do. it's like a little bit out. of the anxiety I think for the men wrestling because they want to hug women need like bitchy because they can't fight maybe men wrestling because they can't this is very this is where my assumption this is, is very assumption but yes <laughs> no absolutely but I do no I know what you mean I would have liked I, we're, when, we're speaking in generalities for sure mm. but that's because we're in the land of the unknown well here. look the dichotomizing of this idea of masculinity and femininity means that you kind of get pushed into an assumption of this stereotype I guess one way or the other so um but it's interesting because when I did start dating I remember with like with John, I really wanted to like fight with him. <laughs> John <laughs> you know, is your current husband. My current husband. It was really good fun to find someone who kiddos had a little bit of a fight with. Interesting. But I had less practice by then and like, he won. Long then. <laughs> How about now? Are you more evenly matched now? No. Oh, fine. Still Sorry. Mate. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go back just a little bit. So we're, okay, so you're five six you yeah. still had this meningitis experience you're you're able to be a little bit more kind of physical yeah and let things out a bit yeah you're kind of gonna go through school yeah and you know one thing to say is like I've got this barometer in my brother that I can kind of see what things were different for him I suppose so I grew up in Edinburgh and we we're a Jewish family and there are not very many Jews in Edinburgh so we were definitely in fact there are not many it was very white and um you know, not that mixed when I was growing up. Um, there's a small kind of Chinese and small Italian population, but that was about it. And at the festival, obviously, everyone would come in from all corners of the world. But I think because I would still be one of the only Jewish kids at school, I guess, even if I was a guy, I would still feel othered to some extent. And I think mm. my brother did. Um, and, you know, also, it sounds really inappropriate, but the amount of Holocaust jokes people made as kids... And in your city, a lot in the eighties in Scotland. In the eighties in Scotland, it was Jesus. common. Dare I say, up to secondary school? Jesus. Oh, we got to pause. I'm so shocked by Just that. Just so that he take can a moment. I know. Wait, a bit. Did yeah. that not happen? No, you but know, I think in American people are more sensitive. I think Judaism in America is a different kettle of fish. Than yeah, it is here. So and no, you know what? Like, it's not like I found that. Like, okay, like growing up with a minority. I lived in Japan and I was one of the only, you know, non-Japanese kids in the class. So I was used to being that minority. And then, you know, um, in, in, you know, white working class um, primary school and then a posh um, secondary school when we were in like hand-me-down clothes, you know, with always a little bit of the odd one out. I didn't mind. And like the Holocaust thing, I, I feel sound like, you know, obviously it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it should not be encouraged. But I think it was that, like, the kids didn't really know who Jews were or what Jews were, except that that was literally the only thing they knew about and they didn't know that. And they hadn't been taught about that in, a, like, a, yeah. real, a real kind of shocking way. They hadn't been taught the reality. They'd maybe just heard about it. So I don't think... I think it was a kind of lack of understanding, really, that, that, that those kind of things arose. Well, it's but the I think, source of all of those sort of judgments and, and, and insensitivities, really, is yeah. lack of knowledge and lack of education. And I think, you know, so we, so yeah, like I said, we went to a working class primary school and then a fee-paying secondary school and, and, like, we were not particularly wealthy, so we were kind of the more in the hand-me-down outfits and um, uniforms It was and this shirt that you're wearing from that. <laughs> I'm not... Making a judgment about I was 
the American flag shirt, which we just had to discuss. But I felt I feel like it's in my honor, but also it's so great. Is it cultural appropriation? Yeah, because cultural I'm hanging out with an American, and and not only. Am I wearing a, so for the podcast good. listeners, like, uh, it, this literally came. It's an American flag with tassels on it. But it actually came from a fancy dress shop. And this was in the how to dress up as an American section. Yes, that is how you dress up as an American. So I, I am, and cosplay, I and mean, this would be inappropriate in any other culture, but I feel in America, I can almost get away with it. No, you, no, you can get away with it outside of America. That's where you can get away with it. That's what would happen if I weren't? I don't want to think about it. I was it's a violent say, and angry country. So. I, was, I, was, I was going to say, I actually bought a Fred Flintstone outfit as well. So I think you guys should all be happy I didn't wear that one. I'm not. I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> I will um, wear one. I, I have, I'm having a thought while you're talking. Um, and, only, and I'm only going to move us along only because... Um, oh, yeah. Where are we going? because of time um but uh you said your brother is seven years younger than you yeah so my question is as we approach your seventh birthday do you think that they have a third child because they've already gotten their boy is that yeah, a good question my mom was quite broody always she loved having kids i think she'd have had another kid definitely yeah. okay yeah so it wasn't about the getting the boy it was about the and me and my sister have always been really close. And because there's that seven-year gap between my brother and the gender difference, I think that that made me and my sister more of a unit because we'd been around for so long. But I think, like, I wonder if that would have been different, like my relationship with my sister, if I was a boy and she was a girl. We're still quite close. What do you think? How does it feel? Because you are, you are quite close, and you're close in really fun ways. Like, you collaborate on creative projects. Yeah, we have. You live close to each other. Yeah, like, I think, like, I think it would have maybe made us a bit different um I think me and my parents were always very careful to, to differentiate me and my sister she was the one who wrote I was the one who drew you know and I think maybe there was more of a need for that and I I do wonder if the gender had been different if it would have been like less of that less comparison necessary. what do you think what does it feel like do you think they put as much emphasis on you as the visual artist if you're yeah, I mean, I, I love writing and telling stories as well. Still, I mean, I do that now professionally, yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't the writer growing up. And I still think my sister's so good at writing. I'm like, she should have been, she, she, I mean, she does write, mm. but um, she hadn't gone down a professional path with writing, but she absolutely, I still always think of myself as like a lesser writer to her. She's an amazing writer. But oh. you know what I mean? I still, I still think that kind of the way your parents, like, I know they were trying to give us our special differences but I think maybe that was an overemphasis and there's a lot of comparison like I'm aware of this because I've got two girls now and like when we were growing up there was a lot of comparison between like how we looked um you know from guys they'd be like your sister's hot or who's hotter and that kind of stuff when we were teenagers I think as a boy you wouldn't have had to deal with any of that nonsense well let's think about that let's think about what high school is like and then I then we'll kind of get you up to sort of university you're in high school We've said we've got a couple of things that are different. We've got that you maybe haven't been quite so pushed down that not pushed, but uh, encouraged in the visual area. Maybe you can kind of be a little bit more free to focus on yeah. whatever art you want. You're I not having those comparisons with your sister. You're a boy. Yeah, so maybe I've got a bit more attention from my dad. I think I'm I'm feeling probably a bit more of myself without reflected from her or differentiated from her. Okay. Um, and definitely... I think just more comfortable taking up space. But I do think the, the like my, my parents are South African and their parents are Eastern European. So they're like one generation in two different countries. So we were the first Scots. So we were a bit different and being a Jew, being like different, I think would have still been there. Yeah. So I think that was quite hard for my brother still. And I think that probably would have been a bit hard for me, particularly in the secondary school, which was even more white and middle class, I suppose, in the primary school. And so your brother, despite being a boy, you feel like he didn't have that sense of feeling like he could take up space? I think he did. I mean, he, he definitely has a little bit more of a bullshy way of being. He does. And I think... <laughs> I think oh, like, you're pretty bullshy. I'm bullshy, but you he know what bullshier. I mean? He's He yeah. quite enjoys... Like, he's a lawyer. He enjoys the debate side of things. Um, and I think he had to put up with that so in Scotland the men are very traditional like when I was young they would move in packs so like the boys in my year they would like go down the high street and there'd be like 10 of them and they 
you know, you wouldn't have really male female friendships that much in in high school. Um, so my brother was very like, you know, the rugby boys, and they're quite like laddie. Um, I I loved when I met English boys for the first time because I was like, oh, they want to talk about <laughs> their feelings. That's interesting. How yes. novel. Yeah, and they want to flirt. I love the idea. My God, English flirting people. didn't exist in Scotland. <laughs> The men didn't, they did not know how to flirt. Oh, wow. <sighs> That's fascinating. I love yeah. the idea. Because obviously the English men versus American men is a whole other kettle of, kettle did, of fish. Did American men know how to flirt? American men definitely knew how to flirt. Yes. <laughs> just look you in the eyeballs when they're talking to you. Things like that. Basics. But also extreme misogyny. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One or the other. I did miss out on hanging out with... So I went to like Jewish youth group in in England and I that's where I met a lot of non-Scottish boys for the first time as a teenager and I think my brother would have done that with the women I suppose um but yeah I I, I would have definitely growing up in Scotland as a man I would have definitely been a bit more macho okay than growing up in Scotland as a woman in fact the women are brilliant in Scotland they're sarcastic they're like they they like they're like they're that kind of um Yes, sarcasm and actually quite a lot of aggressive humour, which I love. Mm. Scottish women take the piss out of each other. Like, I really like that in the women, but the men are a little bit less charming. So what is <laughs> what is macho teenage Carrie like then? What's your name? Oh, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is the most creative pe- person I know. I just want to say. She's the Harry. most creative person I know. <laughs> Not that great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harry. Great thing what about. do you like? What do you like in high school? Okay, still a bit weird, still a bit of an outsider, definitely more piss takey, and um, I would have fitted in, I guess, in some respects, but been sidelined in other respects. But I think I would have been more bullshy and less people pleasy. Definitely. Definitely. Were you very people pleasy? Okay, I'm 42 now, and I really thought when I reached my 40s that I would be like, give no fucks. Can I swear on your podcast? Absolutely. Multiple times. <laughs> All the times. Sorry. Apologies <laughs> for anyone. Um, I really thought that I, I, I really thought when I reach 40, I'm just not going to care so much. You know, that idea that you just get to forget all that nonsense about how you should look and dress and what you should eat. And, but I, I care more than I would have hoped. And I think as a man, there's less of that idea about your body so early on. And I remember being like a teenager in Scotland and dating. I really cared more that boys fancied me and liked me than even before I decided if I liked them. Oh, yeah, for sure. The most important thing when you went on a date or when you found out someone liked you or even if you liked someone was to get them to like you and then you'd consider what your options were. But the them liking you was the affirmation of your goodness kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to the other way. You know it what I mean? It was like currency. I don't understand. Yeah. Like get them to like you, get them to want you and then keep them waiting and you decide and you have control. I, I remember thinking I want the power and that is how I get the power. Mm. First, they have to adore me. And and then I think the masculine side of the game was get them to sleep with you. <laughs> and then you have the power or you won the game. And yeah. it was like this stupid childlike. And could you are children at that age? You're really you children. Are. Yeah. And that was the kind of thing. And it wasn't just about authentically... I mean, I remember some, you know, opposite sex rela- friendships, which I had. And I really liked those people. I wanted to hang out with them. But there was, it wasn't really the done thing, having friends of the opposite gender when I was young in Scotland at all. No. So do you... So, yeah. So, I'm, so as a, in answer of your question, I think I'm playing that game. Yeah. I'm trying to, like, you know, get the girls and get the power and I don't care so much if they like me. Well, I'm not worrying about that as much. It's very exciting for you. How about your art? Okay, so that's you. That's your kind of social life mm. and your sort of way of being in the world. Yeah. And are you drawing? 
Were you presumably by high school, by secondary, you were drawing? Yeah, so I started drawing. I got very sick again. I had an autoimmune system illness and I was bedridden when I was 12. Um, For how long were you bedridden? Oh, God. Like a couple of months. It was called Henoch Shonline Purpura. <laughs> yes, that. And it was one of these weird illnesses um, where they give you the diagnosis and then they take, bring in a room of like, 20 students and they have to play like you know in dr house whatever yeah they have to play guess the illness and it was one of those illnesses <clears throat> but basically i my ankle swelled up like the size of like elephant feet and i got purple spots on them and my kidneys were i don't know exploding into purple spots as well and i couldn't walk and I got very thin and I was in quite a lot of pain. And my mum bought me loads of books. I would always draw and tell stories. Storytelling, I, I thought that like I was drawing animations, but just I didn't realise that comics existed. And I, I started drawing from these really anatomical books when I was bedridden. So I guess that would still happen. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, I do think maybe like, it's an expressive thing and I think that's easier for women and I think growing up in Scotland that might have been in conflict like mm. art and express expressing yourself and drawing your weird pictures might have been more difficult in you know macho Scotland in the 80s so you think you might have kind of tamped that bit down a little bit or maybe I was drawing impressive technical things or focusing more on skills rather than the emotion or the narrative. And the kind of weirdness. That's, yeah. I mean, okay. So, we, I, what I love about this is you and I talked about this before, and we were like, okay, we're going to get all the way up through you being a parent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't gotten that far. But I think, but I think it's really interesting about this is that it's, it's laying the groundwork for um, kind of everything, isn't it? Because all of this sort of dynamics that, that you learn, you learn really, really, really young. And all of those things in secondary, you learn them really, really young and they get really, really embedded. But what I think is really interesting is actually what we're getting to is not necessarily, with the exception of the not giving a fuck, which I think is massive. Yeah. We're not necessarily saying that you're, in another way, with the art, you're not necessarily as free as you were in the other. Yeah, years. and I do think it's difficult for men nowadays in society absolutely i mean like the high rates of suicide the you know mm. lack of really close relationships i mean my dad massively you know just not having those friendships around i think yeah. that that generation i think find it really difficult it's more difficult aging with your body changing as you get older as a man i think because women go through these you know getting your period menopause you know maybe they have pregnancy or birth your body changes quite a lot and we're used to that and I think for men it's much more difficult so yeah of course masculinity is hard mm. and and I think in, what would be interesting now if I'd gone up I mean how far are we jumping if you finish up secondary you don't give a fuck you're drawing a little bit more technically let's explore one more thing quickly what do you think I think like relationships and okay. then that can segue to my all right so you go to university what what do you like in terms of dating I'm an absolute man slot. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I was hoping you would say that. Definitely. I was really like, so the dating thing aside, looking back at my dating life before I met my partner and married, like, was definitely, like, I wanted to get people to like me. Yeah. And then also, I was really aware of this idea of being a good girl. And maybe that was because, you know, bought up, like, with a lot of ideas of, being moral or maybe it was an assumption of society but I definitely had this idea of of being like making making guys wait and not just sleeping with who I wanted to and not being a slut that was mm. like a thing which always you were hearing as a, as a woman and yeah so like I but as a man I would have slept with so many more people so many I did have the eight I was thinking about this we did grow up in the 80s and there was all that awful like AIDS you know the, the, that advert with the gravestones remember yes. that one it was scaremongering it was terrible everyone would tell you about heroin needles so I did definitely have a lot of the fear of STDs and that would be your punishment for immoral immorality yeah and it, as a kid growing up in the 80s and the early 90s but if I was a man I genuinely think I would have been just 
There are polite people in the audience, but I was sticking my dick in it. <laughs> Everywhere, <laughs> left, right and centre. And I think, like, you know, not getting that, that um, pushback, people saying, like, that's inappropriate. And you know what? Would I have been, like, you know... Okay, so that takes us kind of through the relationship thing, like having fun, feeling I'm in power. Would I have been aware of all this? I do, which I think men are now a bit more aware of power imbalances and, uh. and all of that. I would have hoped so. I mean, I, I think I still would have been brought up with a very moral grounding and guilt. My God, I was brought up with a lot of guilt. My yeah. brother has that. Everyone in our family has that. So that would have been the case. But I, I think I would have questioned myself less. I think, and I think, I, I think about this a lot. I think, I think the way that women hold guilt and the way that women hold guilt for society all the way back to Eve is really um, quite immense. And I think that quite often women do hold men's guilt. Yeah. So I'm glad that your brother has some guilt. I think your parents have done something right in that sense. <laughs> but I think that the going up, I mean, like, we were talking, I mean, I don't know, we've got, we've got to, we've got limited time for an entire life in an opposite gender. But I do think that, like, um, like going to now, you know, if I'd met, okay, meeting and marrying a kid, I do think is quite an interesting one because I remember I remember I was thinking about this as well. If I'd been a father instead of a mother, mm. would I have been happy? Like even now, I sometimes dream that I could have. But like, okay, right, my husband, amazing, very untraditionally masculine. He does... Super hands-on. Maybe even more than 50-50 of the childcare. Looking at most of my friends, um, for some reason, most of them do... Most of the women still do do most of the childcare. Yeah. And I think we saw that in the pandemic as well. I think oh, a yeah. lot of the roles reverted and became quite traditional. And the amount of women who've lost jobs, who I know, who've had to give up work. And childcare is so expensive that it doesn't make sense for a lot of women to go back to work. So, mo I mean, a large, like, maybe 70% of my friends are in traditional masculine, uh, feminine parenting roles. So, I've, if I'm being brutally honest, if I had been a father instead of a mother, I would have been way more traditional. I would have loved to not have to give birth, to not, I hate giving birth and being pregnant. It's not fun. Even after all the IVF, I should have appreciated it more. Even though that's like an amazing thing your body does, I felt very out of control of my body. And being a man and not having to have done that, still having that sense of your body being the solid entity throughout it all. Mm. And then going to work, coming back in the evening, yeah. seeing the kids, Briefly having to see you for an hour, and also, and I think that thing about your body and not having to give your physical body to them. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that's Breast the thing. Is, I mean, and so you and I are both here in Margate. We're both away from our children. Neither of them need us physically in that same way anymore. But I think it 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 carries on in a way that I'm not sure it does for men. So it's there's still this sense of like I am physically away from my child, and that's yeah. weird. Yeah, and I think not having that would be quite. Liberating. Liberating. It would, it would be liberating. And I think John, like, because I can see with John, he's so hands-on with the kids. They really miss him. And they're, they're better at leaving me because they're so well-bonded with him. So it's not such a division. But I do, I, I've got to be honest. If I had the opportunity to be a man who went out, worked, put my career forward first mm. and came home to maybe a nice meal <laughs> and... Did you cook nice back? meals? Is that what you did at home? No. Neither did I. I was terrible at that. I might have picked someone who was more traditional as women, and I would have just leaned into that this is the thing. inequality. It would be nice to have a wife. We have to stop loving Yeah. Them. I love you. Neither of us <laughs> neither of us would be a good wife, unfortunately. <laughs> Sadly. Um, I'm so Thank happy you. that we got to talk. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much to everyone for being here. And, and I'd love to hear your perspective of how your life would have been different if you'd been born the opposite gender or a completely different gender. I know. You've chosen that. Let's so, chat about it afterwards. Also, here. we don't have Perry's books here, unfortunately, but they are available at your local bookshop and on bookshop.org. Um, I am also starting to offer individual unlived life sessions. So if anybody does want to go into their unlived life and see what it unearths, get in touch with me. Um, and that, I think, is a wrap. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Margate. Plaque.
laughing about Carrie's American cowgirl shirt, which you can see as a photo on my Instagram feed if you're curious. It was hilarious and fabulous, as so much of Carrie's fashion is. It was also, of course, in no way representative of how most Americans dress, no more than the biases that we have about people's gender or religion are representative of most people's individual realities. I think in both of Carrie's episodes, we encountered her reality, which is that, as a female artist, no matter how hard she worked for and completely adores her kids, the confines and expectations of motherhood are hard and not always synonymous with making art. I'm glad she got to explore what it might be like to do her own gender swap, to live life caring less about what people thought or what they wanted from her, and ultimately having a certain freedom once she was a parent to come and go as she pleased. I don't think it was lost on either of us that the idea we conjured of being a, quote, traditional husband was also born from myriad assumptions. But it's also true that a great way to break free from getting stuck in any rut whether it's a theoretical or a real one, is to step outside of yourself for a little while to gain some fresh perspective. Given that Carrie's already far from traditional in her role, I don't think she has far to go, though I'll be excited to see if spending some time giving fewer fucks in her unlived life leads to any further transformations in her real life. Given how brave she already is, I'd love to see what an even more uninhibited Carrie does next. If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening. I mentioned in this episode that I'm beginning to offer Unlived Life sessions one-on-one. There's a proper website coming soon, but if you'd like to give it a try, whether that's as a route through a creative or professional block, or just to see what might have been, DM me on Twitter or Instagram, or shoot me an email on miriam.robinson at gmail.com.